Hi, you're listening to the Health Disparities Podcast from Movement is Life. Conversations about health disparities with people who are working to eliminate them. I'm Bill Finnerfrock, and today I'm discussing health disparities and health policy with Dr. Michael Parks, who's the Associate Attending Surgeon at Hospital for Special Surgery in New York City, and he's also a member of the Executive Committee of Movement is Life. Thanks, Dr. Parks, for taking some time to talk with us today. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with uh, Movement is Life, and in particular, the issue of health disparities. Well, they actually are one and the same. I actually watched a member of my family, my father, uh, struggle with progressive arthritis, and it was very frustrating to me to see someone who had access, who had insurance, who had education, um, an Ivy League level master's degree, and even uh, a son who was in the business. And I watched him progressively become more and more immobile uh, due to pain from arthritis. And at the same time in my professional life, I saw patients with the same disability and affliction who refused treatment that I knew was effective and commonplace. And they were simply, I thought, afraid, or I really didn't know what it was. So um, at that time, uh, we got a small grant, uh, and we looked at attitudes, what, how patients made decisions about surgery. And that was how I became involved. At the same time, um, Movement is Life, uh, with Verona Bruton being appointed uh, in charge of uh, a segment at Zimmer. Uh, a group of us started working with her, and uh, we began to work together to understand disparities in healthcare, and most specifically, disparities in osteoarthritis and joint replacement, as I am a joint replacement surgeon. And then, I think now we've probably transitioned uh, to not only understanding, but how can we intervene, and how can we perhaps uh, positively offset those uh, disparities that exist. So can you kind of describe, so what is a health disparity? Um, and particularly as it relates to um, socioeconomic or social determinant, those, those factors, what is a health well, disparity? Well, now you're asking a loaded question. I give an hour-long talk, <laughs> and I have a slide we don't have that, much time. that is really full. But it depends on who you talk to. So one of the first papers that we published, uh, the, the editor sent us back and said, don't just say disparity, say difference. And so... I looked up all these different definitions. What is a healthcare disparity? So there are numeric definitions by scientific organizations like the AHRQ that maybe it's a 10% difference between populations and how they receive healthcare. But then the World, healthcare, World Health Organization has a very interesting definition and sees it as a social injustice. So if there is a difference between how two major league basketball players receive care, probably not a disparity. But if a village doesn't have water and a major metropolitan area does, then there is probably a disparity in there. So there is some uh, sense that there is a sense of unequal treatment with some injustice that's there. And so a healthcare disparity really simply is a difference in how populations receive care, whether it's by numbers or by treatments. So there are a lot of different things I guess, then that could lead to disparities. Some uh, could be geographic, it could be economic, it could be uh, gender, it could be race. Um, one of the things that, that we've been looking at with Movement is Life is the uh, way in which how we pay 
uh, physicians and how we pay hospitals can contribute to uh, health disparities or, or help to address them. Um, can you talk to us about kind of your experience with and the correlation between how we pay uh, physicians or hospitals and how that may contribute to uh, either helping to address disparities or making them worse? We're in a current climate of government fiscal responsibility, and there are so many, only so many dollars that can be attributed to health care. And so like everyone else, we're feeling the squeeze. With this squeeze in healthcare, there have been innovative healthcare models where you take large populations, maybe people undergoing, in my field, joint replacement, and you say everyone's going to fit into a box. They're going to get a certain amount of care, days in the hospital, a certain device, and the doctor, the hospital, and everyone's going to get one package number. Sounds pretty good. But unfortunately, populations are not that simple. There are large populations of people who are pretty sick. Um, They suffer from what we call comorbidities or illnesses like diabetes, heart disease, and even social illnesses like depression. Maybe they don't have access to care like some of their counterparts. And so if we give them this sort of one box fits all, one reimbursement, and then the physician takes care of this person, maybe you don't have a house on Madison Avenue and a family to support you. Maybe you're going home by yourself, and you're going home to an economically deprived area. So some of these populations are more likely to go to aftercare facilities like rehab facilities or nursing home. All this costs money. And so this may provide a disincentive for physicians to take care of these patients, and that's my fear. So if a patient has come into the office and weighs 100 pounds more than the next patient, it's likely that that patient may have some complications or may cost more to take care of. And so then when my report card goes public and I take care of lots of obese patients because I actually enjoy trying to make those people better, but when a report card on a provider who doesn't think about things like this goes public, then it may not be as good as the provider who selects sort of these ideal patients, sort of cherry-picking, if you will. Yeah, that's a term we've heard, cherry-picking. Some people refer to it as lemon-dropping. Um, you know, the, the, the sad thing and the ironic thing is, you know, what you're describing with regard to physician payments, we saw that same phenomena occur when we changed how we paid hospitals, right? We went to a DRG, diagnosis-related group basis, which was kind of paying them on an average. And some hospitals did really well, uh, but other hospitals that had you know, populations and communities that were more challenging or had less volume uh, suffered financially uh, through no fault of their own or the quality of care they were providing and ended up closing their doors. So uh, Movement is Life has been working on uh, something called the Equality in Medicare and Medicaid Treatment Act with uh, Congressman uh, John Lewis from from Georgia. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, uh, how familiar you are with that? And um, so the the bill would effectively say, we we know that health disparities exist now, right? That that some patients have uh, disparate outcomes under a current payment model that some would say is colorblind, you know, that there's, you know, whatever code or whatever you're being paid doesn't distinguish. 
If we go to a bundled payment or some type of a value-based payment where uh, this kind of averaging process uh, can occur, you could get that outcome. And, and so what the, the Lewis bill says is, okay, let's consider that in the design of the model. Let's build that in on the front end. Let's take that into consideration and not just simply say, okay, here's the payment and tell us if you saved money and tell us if you had good or bad outcomes. It says, well, tell us who got care, right? Because one of the challenges is uh, maybe some of those folks aren't going to get care. So one of the interesting studies that we've done at our institution on disparities we looked at a large volume of thousands of patients that had already had surgery. And we did something called geocoding. And your zip code with that five digit number that none of us ever remembers, tells us a lot about you, where you live. Because when the census takers come, they look at how many people are insured, uh, what's the uh, median income in your area. And one of the things that we looked at was the percent poverty by geocode. So we took thousands of patients who had had surgery and we looked at their geocode. And then we separated them by race, white patients, black patients, and we geocoded them. And we found that as poverty increased in their area where they lived, their outcomes were worse. Same patients, same hospitals, same doctors. So this is a reflection of the importance of why we should think about uh, the Lewis Bill and, and the equality in Medicare and Medicaid. And we should be careful as we go to new models of healthcare to not disincentivize the care of certain groups of patients. And in order to provide, quote unquote, an extra consideration for those patients who may need it. And to incentivize physicians to provide equitable care for all. Yeah, there was just a study uh, recently uh, that was published looking at uh, hospital readmissions and in particular safety net hospitals. And one of the things they found was that the safety net hospitals were much more likely to uh, be hit with uh, readmission penalties. But the researchers went back and took into account all the various social geocoding, poverty, et cetera, and said that if the, if the payment model had taken that into account, half of the hospitals that got hit with penalties wouldn't have had any penalties at all. The, the idea being that, that they were good institutions, but because the patient population they were caring for was more challenging, they didn't fare as well. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Absolutely. So we know, not just in this new study, but there have been several past studies that show that certain racial, racial and ethnic uh, minority groups have higher rates of uh, readmissions after joint replacement surgery or after surgery in general. So I'm not sure of those factors that contribute to it on an individual level, but if you're taking care of those patients, then you're prone to penalties under uh, new policies and new paradigms of payment. So we need to take these uh, concerns and consider them before we make those changes and what the unintended consequences will be. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's the, the unintended consequences. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, I learned many years ago when I started uh, working in Washington was that we have uh, sins of commission and sins of omission. And uh, very often, uh, some of the worst outcomes occur because of a sin of omission. We didn't think about that when we adopted the policy. We didn't intend it 
to occur that way. Uh, and so then we have to go back. And I think the Lewis bill uh, really tries to say, you know what? Uh, we know how disparities exist now. Um, let's try to build this model in a way that makes sure that it doesn't uh, make it worse and that potentially makes it better. Um, are you, you've traveled around the country. I mean, do you, do you think this is isolated to urban areas? Um, you, you know, you grew up in uh, South Carolina. Um, you know, are, is this a, a urban phenomena or do you think it's something that uh, cuts across geographic lines? I think it's an American phenomenon that cuts across ethnicity and race. Poor people of all races are probably adversely affected. Uh, there may be differential effects by race, but uh, whether you're poor and you grow up in the Appalachian South or you grow up in the inner city New York City, there are probably differences uh, and adversities that you face in your recovery and risk factors that you bring with, the, with you. So large groups of, of poor patients have extremely high rates of obesity, diabetes. They don't have access to care. So these same patients having surgery are more likely to have the adverse outcomes that we talk to that are going to trigger those penalties to hospitals and lesser payments to doctors. So, you know, having been a surgeon as long as you have, if you, if you could say anything to policymakers in Washington, D.C., who are looking at these issues, what would, uh, what would your message uh, to them be as someone who's uh, on the front lines, who, um, as you pointed out, really likes the challenge of taking on uh, patients, perhaps, who are a little bit more difficult, more challenging, uh, to help them uh, improve mobility? What message would you uh, say to folks in Washington, D.C. who are looking at these things? I would say one size doesn't fit all, essentially. It's great that we have new payment models, that we're trying to be uh, financially responsible, and that may work for a large majority uh, of patients. But we have to consider that there are many patients in different circumstances, and we need to carve out an understanding of how we provide care for those patients, particularly as America becomes a more obese nation. Those patients are not the same as patients who have normal weight. They're more complicated. Not only are they more t difficult to take care of, but they also have other concurrent medical issues, diabetes, hypertension, heart disease. So we should think Great, it's wonderful if all the patients fit into box A and they're healthy and we have a new paradigm diamond payment model. But we want to incentivize all healthcare providers to provide good care to all Americans. And I think that we need to do this by thinking about those patients that don't fit into the normal box and how do we provide care for those patients. Well, thank you, Dr. Parks. Appreciate the time you spent with us. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening uh, to this podcast from Movement is Life. 